All right, listen up. Welcome back to the Construction Mentor Podcast. My name is Ike. I am your host. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at the Construction Mentor. What are we here to do? I'm here to raise awareness about opportunities in the construction industry, whether that's in the trades, design side, owner side, whatever that may be. There's a plethora of opportunities. I want to make sure that people are aware of what they are, how to chase them, how to take advantage of them, and how to flourish once they get there. So with that, we like to bring in guests who have a lot of value to bring to the show and to anybody who has any kind of an interest in any such career. Today, we have working with Matt. He's a career landscaper turned into do-it-all contractor. He's managed to build quite a business without a college degree, which I know a lot of people want to hear about, as well as generate a huge following on social media. But he's not an influencer. He is just a guy who posts cool shit, and people may or may not want to buy that shit. So if you're interested in, in any kind of equipment or things that you may or may not want to buy, he's a good guy to follow. We're going to walk through how he built his business starting at an early age, what advice he would give for those who want to start their own business. And we'll even talk about how messed up Matt is. <laughs> Matt has some interesting quirks and things that he battles on a day-to-day basis that I think a lot of people deal with today. So with that, Matt, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. So right from the beginning, from Jump Street, you were able to start a business at a young age. Surprisingly, surprisingly young compared to other people. Talk about how old you were when you decided to start your own business. Well, I was in, I was probably before high school. Like I started cutting my parents' house and then basically a neighbor came over and was like, hey, would be interested in doing mine, so on and so forth. And it kind of just grew from that. Fast forward to when I was in high school, I was friends with a buddy of mine who was like a year older than me. So he got his license. So I was like, all right, well, let's try to see what we can make over the summertime. So on weekends and then when school got out in the summertimes, we would hook up a little trailer. I think it was like a six by eight, something like that. It held hold like one mower. And then he would drive us around. We would cut lawns and kind of split the profits. Then he went off to college. And then my senior year in high school, I got my license. But in our school, we had like this block scheduling thing. So I actually, in the spring, I only had three classes. So I had a free period for until like, I think 10 o'clock. So I would actually have employees set them up from like seven to nine and then get done work, drive to school, go to high school from whatever, nine to three. And then after school, check up on the guys and continue doing that. So it was definitely not a, it was definitely unique to be sitting in a classroom, potentially making more money than my teachers were teaching me at 17, 18 years old actually running a business. So I've had a bunch of people on here and you know, guys, you know, you know, Garrett and Kevin. And they had like hands-on experience in high school, but I don't think they were running a business. So you actually had employees that you and they might've been making more than the teachers too. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, it was obviously back in whatever, 08, 07, something like that, right before the economy crashed. But yeah, it was, it was a lot, but I knew at an early age with learning disabilities and ADD and everything like that, that college and an office job wasn't for me. So at that time, it was the only option I had, and it was trying to learn as much as I possibly could with any trade because I knew one way or the other I was getting into something. I mean, that's interesting. You say you had a learning disability, but you were smart enough to start your own, start your own business and run it while you were in school. So, <laughs> so the, all right, well, let me rephrase. So because so I, I, I have been tested for stuff. So like my IQ is extremely high, but when it comes to reading, language art, stuff like that, I'm horrific. I can't spell if my name. You, you jokingly always, you you always jokingly tell me that you have, you have a 
fourth grade reading level. Oh, so I'm not joking. That's, but that's I, true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I have, I have vernacular. I can speak rhetoric, whatever. Like I just can't spell anything if my life depended on it. So yeah, I knew that I was going to have to do it. And, and the one thing is that I think that a lot of guys starting out in the trades or starting out in business, I should say, you, my biggest probably piece or one of the biggest pieces of advice is do what you're best at, right? Like a lot of guys that start businesses aren't business owners, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, right? They're very good at what they do. They have skills, craftsmanship, whatever the case may be, but they're not like a numbers guy. They're not an accounting guy. They're not a a lawyer, right? So delegate what you're not good at, obviously, to a certain extent. When you're first starting off, you kind of have to wear all the hats. But as you start to grow, like for me, me, for example, like when I first started, I would spend hours and hours making spreadsheets of cutting lists and this and that. And then there's other people that have all the codes for Excel that literally could do what I did. It took me hours. They can do in 30 seconds. So it's like, it, it'd be cheaper for me looking back now to hire someone for whatever at the time, probably 15 bucks an hour, like an office assistant to plug all those charts mm -hmm. and fill everything out rather than me spending hours and hours of my time where I could have made double, triple their salary on an actual job site doing what I do best. Yeah. So you're talking about opportunity costs, right? So not only are you wasting your time, but you could be out there actually producing more and bringing in more revenue. Exactly. Uh, so when you made that initial investment, that wasn't the first job that you had though, right? What was the first job that you had? Where'd you start? I start. I was a certified petroleum technician. Which means what? I, I pumped gas. Yeah. <laughs> in, in our state, state law requires you are not allowed to pump your own gas. The Actually, I think comes out mm -hmm. of the taxes, like uh, states funded that everybody gets their, their gas pumped by a, a certified petroleum technician. That's just a made up term I came up with to make my job sound a little <laughs> bit more exciting. <laughs> I think that's what they call them in the military. I think they're called petroleum engineers and they, they gas up the planes. Is what exactly. they do. Yeah. But I mean, it makes sense because if you've ever been to a Wawa, you know, it frees, it frees up time for you to run in there and get a hoagie or, or a coffee or any of the other wonderful things that Wawa has to offer. I am Greatest blessed enough to have the these world. down in Florida. Yeah. Well, if you guys, there is, there is a handful down there, but obviously they can't pump the gas for you. No, they don't pump the gas. They just open one right up the street for me. And it's like, the greatest thing that's ever happened to my wife. He looks for reasons to go there. So. Well, it's probably, oh yeah, for you being health conscious, it's probably the greatest and worst thing because it is so convenient to walk in, touch a touch screen, get what you want and walk out rather than like preparing a healthy meal and doing all that healthy stuff that I don't know very much about. Yeah, yeah, double meat, buffalo chicken, extra peppers. Um, but I mean, as I Way think- any contractor that's going to watch this or listen to this fully comprehends the gas station food we live and die on. You get in, you get your caffeine, your energy drinks, your whatever, and, and you're on the road and you're gone for the day. So having someone like Wawa is is definitely convenient in, in, in the trades. Definitely. So it's definitely it's definitely, a you know, guys stop in the morning, they get their scratch tickets. They load up on the monsters for the day. Probably not the healthiest thing. Like we've done a couple, I've done an episode on, you know, the effect that that can have on people. That had a pretty big impact on you, right? Like you can't drink Monster anymore? I currently now wear a heart monitor, which I, is just an eye watch or whatever. Yeah, I uh, I used to drink three a day. I mean, any contractor I feel like does. And one day, it was like a Saturday, we were driving somewhere and all of a sudden, like my chest was just beating or my heart was beating out of my chest and then everything just turned white and I'm driving. And I told mm. her, I was like, you have to grab the wheel. I can't see anything. 
So we pulled over and she's obviously, we're both freaking out, but then she's like, I'm like, Google the closest urgent care. And she's like, Matt, you are as white as Casper and urgent care is not going to do anything. We need to find the closest hospital. So she gets in the driver's seat, drives me to the closest hospital. And like a week later, I'm still in there and they're doing tests and this and that. And yeah, it was, it was not fun, but ultimately the uh, decision was no more caffeine, no more monsters. So a lot of that probably has to, you know, you pair that with the stress of running a, your own contracting business and being in the industry, right? It's kind of a recipe for, for disaster. It's a recipe to get there. When you were young, before we get into like what you've been up to recently, because you, you've built, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got like 1,500 properties that you guys maintain, like 35 guys. About that, yep. So that's quite a bit for somebody to handle, especially, so you started at 14, pumping gas, kind of like funded your own business starting in high school where you had a few employees and I would call that like, a that's a big operation. That's a big company that you're running today. What was, you, know, you went through something when you got out of high school at like 19, 20 years old, you learned some things the hard way. So as you grow a business, what happened, what went wrong? And what would you say to people to try to avoid that? Oh, I'm, I'm, re I'm referring to the cash flow issues that you had with a pretty major yeah, client. Yeah. Won't say who uh, it was. It, it'll be, I'll try to, it's, it's a very, very, I mean, obviously it's a whatever, 10, 15 year story, but I'll try to summarize it as best as possible. So I had an opportunity when I was like 19, yeah, it was like 09, 08, something like that to take on a national bank's account. So we would maintain their facilities, snow removal, landscaping, everything like that. As a young kid, I saw millions of dollars on the line. I got all excited. I'm like, let's do it. Not thinking things through properly. And again, back to what I was saying by finding people that know there are experts in their trades and hiring them to do their job. For example, if I had a attorney look over the contract and throw up some red flags to me, I would have been maybe a little bit more hesitant. I didn't do that. Again, I just looked at the numbers, jumped full steam in, went out and bought new trucks and trailers and hired new guys to fulfill this contract. Well, come to find out, it was a property management company in Kansas that was maintaining all these facilities. So doing, doing, Digging deeper into it, it's basically a scheme that they run. Again, I'm not going to name any names because I'm not going to deal with any of that. But essentially, when you do landscaping, you do a year contract, but it's mostly prorated. So like the beginning of the year between fertilization, mowing, spring cleanups, mulching, trimming bushes, like you do probably 40 to 50 percent of the work in the first month, if that, or even less than that. So I was out probably 150 grand maintaining all these properties and then basically they sent me pictures of like a blade of grass on a curb line and this and that and basically fired us for the most dumb reasons known to man like it was not probable cause would they uh, claim you didn't fulfill your contract so then they refused to pay you Correct. Exactly. So they basically cut us a check for the one month pay, which was whatever X amount of dollars, but it wasn't a fraction of what it should have been. And then what they do is that because it's a third party property management company. So the big bank is just cutting them checks. So they basically take all that extra money that they were supposed to pay us. And they did this nationwide. They did it for cleaners. They did it for mm -hmm. interior stuff. I've we did a lot of research. It wasn't just me, but they take all that money and basically just pocket it and then hire a secondary contractor just to mow the grass and maintain it for the remainder of the year for just a portion of what the full contract was. It, it, it crushed us. Again, I had to fire guys. I had to sell trucks. I mean, again, you lose 150 grand or whatever, 19 years old. I mean, you think that's the end of the world. 
So, oh, it, you know, when we talk about like monster and being overstressed and stuff like that, there's a narrative out there that, you know, the business will kill you. You know, if, if it doesn't destroy your body, it can destroy, <laughs> destroy your mind and your heart by, by being overstressed. And I think you, you articulate very well some of the risks that young entrepreneurs have, whether they're in construction or not, right? You used a phrase on another podcast. And I just want to highlight this for people because I want to talk about what you would say to somebody, a young person who wants to start their own business. What do we say about pigs? They get slaughtered. Yeah, pig, pigs get slaughtered. And you have, you're, you're one of the few people that talk about scaling because everyone wants to scale a business, you know, go 10x. That's like what all the motivational videos and stuff talk about. So what would you say to a young person out there who wants to start their own business and wants to grow, 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 but doesn't realize they might walk into that situation that almost crushed you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it did. I'm not going to, it, it crushed us. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is everyone wants to scale. Everybody wants to make a killing right off the bat. And, and, and at least if, as far as I know, and everything I've seen in the research that I've done, there is no business out there that you become a millionaire overnight. I mean, any business you start, regardless of what it is, I mean, even if you look at like Elon, I mean, he had put his blood, sweat, and tears into all three companies, and literally all of them were going to basically the bank going to be bankrupt. And finally, by the stroke of luck and genius and everything, everything worked out. I mean, again, that's one of the richest men in the world, but he had trials and tribulations that he had to go through. So, in regards to scaling, I think that ultimately, like everyone wants to get rich, everyone wants to make this big company and be on their yachts and go golfing and all that other stuff. But ultimately, I think slow and steady wins the race. And again, I'm not just talking from personal experience from this one example, but like you just kind of wake up. It's it's really weird. It's like you were just talking about how, how many trucks and everything we have. So like it's like one day you're cutting grass with your buddy in the back of a little trailer from high school. And then you just kind of wake up one day and you look around and you're like, how did I get here? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it honestly, ha in my head, it happened so fast, but like, it's obviously been 15 years, but it's like, you just kind of like have an aha moment. Like, it's like, we've come a long, long way. So uh, a lot of people talk about, Alex Ramosi says like, you know, simple scales, complex fails, right? And I know the, you have some services that you guys provide that is kind of, you know, better money makers than others. And I think it's the simpler things. Kevin, Raven Builders, right? You know, Kevin, he, part of what he likes about doing decks is the simplicity of it, you know, the niche that he gets to hyper-focus on and create efficiencies. But I, I think that people also, they don't realize that you should, when you're prospecting clients, you should go for simplicity too, right? Like how do you vet a client and how important is it to understand like what the cash flow is like? Because I, when you get a commercial client like that, usually this is like 30 to 90 day pay terms and you might not realize that. So like, what, what does an ideal client look like for you now that you go after? Yeah. So I would say, and again, obviously for, I guess I can equate this to, to construction and landscaping. So on the landscape side of things, dealing, there's there's pros and cons with anything, right? So you deal with resis or we call them residential resis. You have a person or two people typically behind that account, for example, like a husband or a wife or whatever the case may be. So that's two phone calls, two emails, whatever, for like a $40 cut, right? You multiply that by 1500. I mean, it's just a lot of paperwork, a lot of office work to maintain that. So a lot of guys look at that and like, I don't want to deal with all those headaches. I want to get five or 10 commercial accounts and just deal with one person each. So that's five people I have to deal with rather than 3000 or 4,500 different personalities and so on and so forth. So the downside to that is, is if I lose one or two or 20 residential accounts throughout the year, it 
doesn't affect us one iota. You mm-hmm. lose one of those three to five big accounts, it crushes you, right? Like, especially like the larger accounts that you have to buy multiple trailers, multiple trucks, multiple lawnmowers, whatever. I mean, you lose that one account, case in point. I mean, it 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 hurts to rebound from that. So it's better to get a lot of smaller accounts and scale and grow. And obviously this is when you're first starting out to get capital, to be able to get lines of credit, so on and so forth, so that you have the ability to float if you do lose those bigger accounts. Now, and what's the cash flow? What's the cash flow like for the for the smaller accounts it's immediate or weekly yeah well yeah so basically that's we change things so we were tired of being a bank I, i'm a, an ambassador for jobber so we switched over to that a couple of years ago and the nice thing about that is is everyone's credit cards on file so as soon as we do the service we get paid um, back years ago we used to float things like you said 36 days not that we would float it if we would wait for that month cut for that month then yeah, mail out an invoice and then some people obviously you pay right away, but then there's others. Oh, sorry, we're on vacation. We're away. The kids had sports, whatever. Then they were into 60, 90 days. Well, I had to pay all the overhead costs for that past month. I had to pay all the labor costs. I had to pay for all the fuel and everything. So I'm out all that money. And now we're already going into the second month. So now I'm into week six, week seven, completely 100% out of pocket before money starts rolling in. So it's it's very difficult to to start a small business because cash flow is I mean, that's what crushes 80 percent of businesses. So having jobber and having the ability to charge the card as the service is completed is invaluable. I mean, so three percent. But at the end of the day, I, I'd pay the three percent over waiting 60, 90 days any day of the week. Sure. So jobber. Now, you guys might not know this or might not believe it. But Matt actually just bought his first computer this week. And so he's been managing this business, 1,500 accounts, 35 people, basically on his phone. And it's because of the software or the app Jobber that he's basically talking about. So I want you to talk about how important it is to make that kind of investment and identify whether that cost or not is worth it to manage the job. Like to not have to touch a computer, but run a business like that, I would imagine is like a huge stress relief and just makes your life so much more efficient. Yeah. So I am, I, as you clearly knew before we started this, I didn't know how to download Google Chrome. I am not a technology right. guy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm old school. Like even I still handwrite things because I just, that's the way I grew up. That's the way I started. That's what mm-hmm. I'm comfortable with. So it was a huge, huge transition for us to go from, and like I was telling you earlier, those Excel spreadsheets going to an app-based platform. But I will say it was a growing curve, if you will. It did take some time because we had all the accounts in QuickBooks, but Jobber does sync to QuickBooks. So then basically we transferred over, but then we had to make these routes and I had to use, learn how to use this app, so on and so forth. But once everything was like ironed out, it's the greatest thing ever. Like I said earlier, I was spending hours making these Excel spreadsheets. The guys would check them off to that they cut it, Mm -hmm. then I'd have to check it off on our end and we'd have to send out invoices. And literally with Jobber, the guys click it, finish done, it automatically processes it. It does everything for us. The other thing that kills us is rain days. So for example, back in the old Mm -hmm. days, I would have to put like two schedules together and say, cut as much as you can and we'll figure it out after. With Jobber, it's literally a click of a button. The entire day just moves to the next day and it just backs up. It's, it has made- So are you dispatching your guys through Jobber? Everything. Every single thing we do is through so, Jobber. So like literally, hey, you're going to do these houses today. This guy's going to do those houses today. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. 
Yeah. So, uh, and our, I imagine, you know, at the end of the year too, when it comes to tax season and stuff like that, I mean, it's, it's all just, it's all there. Exactly. We literally hit print. And that was the other thing it saved up. So the monthly fee that we pay for jobber is way cheaper than what we were paying our bookkeeper to maintain our books week monthly. So basically mm-hmm. like literally we just hit reports and everything, the P and L's, the Q, the quarterly, everything we need is right there. Yeah. I think so when I talk about other college majors and whether or not like construction or the trades or contracting is a better future, everyone talks about AI and like these apps are, there's a reason why accountants are the top 10 jobs that are being taken by AI right now, because they're taking somebody's you know, job that you used to pay for that they used to sink hours and hours and hours in, and they're doing it for a fraction of the cost like that. And you don't even have to own a freaking computer to do it. You're running your entire business from your freaking phone. Hey, um, I got a computer now. Baby steps. Well, you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you got a computer like now. Five years ago. Now I got a computer. Who knows? Sky's the limit in five years from now. So, I mean, it's important to know because when you're young, you don't understand like the infrastructure that you need and you don't necessarily understand the overhead costs. And even if you're in the business now, you know, I just see so many people like, you know, I have painters in my house right now and I think that they're running their business out of a notebook right? Which, which worked for years and years and years, but there's just, there's disadvantages of doing that. The old school way will always work. You can use it rock and chisel if you want, but these tools are out there and you should be using them. So jobber, and there's a link on your Instagram for that, right? Sure. Yep. So if you want to check, if you want to check out that app working at working with Matt, click on his link in his bio and you can go check out jobber. So well, can right I, before I we get to um, add one, one quick thing on that. So every, every person that I talk to about, I'm not, this isn't a plug for Jobber. I'm, I'm just genuinely saying it changed our lives. And if anyone has any questions or want to DM me or hesitant or things that I've learned over the years of using it, feel free to shoot me a DM. I'll be more than happy to answer it. Because again, I was very, very weary of it and I did not want to do it. And I fought mm-hmm. tooth and nail. So we didn't have to do it. But once we did, Again, I have, I used to work whatever, 14, 18 hours a day. Now that my hours in office time are significantly cut down, I get to spend more time with my family. Or like I said, I get to spend more time on the job, which I truly like to do, opposed to being in an office. Because I feel like, as I was saying earlier, most contractors are not office people. They're not good at running office, whether it's calling people back, whether it's emailing people back. This just allows you time to do what you want to do, right? Like the you give an estimate on Jobber, it reminds you, hey, 30 days, we gave this estimate, whatever, a week ago, they haven't emailed back. Would you like to send a referral? Like, oh, I forgot all about that. I gave them that estimate. Yeah, like it's just, there's so much, so many benefits with technology. And again, I am not a technology person. So don't think I'm trying to push that, but there are a lot of benefits with it. Plenty of tools out there to make your life easier. Make, make sure you leverage them. It's only going to make you better. Because if you're not, I mean, somebody else is going to. So 2020, your business took a turn. But before we get out of the, before we get out of the notion of starting a business, I heard you talk about on another podcast, the three phases to starting a business. Mm -hmm. Can you go into what, what those are in in your mind? Sure. So, and again, every business is different, but from what I've found is there's essentially like three phases. Phase one is when you first start out, you're working by yourself, you're doing everything yourself, you're wearing all the hats, you're potentially making the most amount of money, but you're also dealing with all the headaches, the scheduling, the issues, the delays, everything like that. Phase two, I consider the hardest phase, and that is when you start bringing on employees, because now your overhead costs are going up, you're starting to carry workman's comp, 
you're now providing for whoever you're hiring. Insurance goes up. Now you got to buy more trucks and trailers or tools or whatever the case may be to supply said employees. So essentially there's times in my life that my employees were making more than I was or I wasn't making anything. Every single penny we were making was going to pay overhead and the guys, which is again, I think most of the time when guys fail, they, they like we were talking about scaling earlier, that rather than just staying a one man operation or maybe getting a helper or something like that, growing your bankroll, they wanna jump into phase two immediately. And that's when all the problems start happening. That's when they're paying, stealing from Peter to pay Paul, and borrowing money from this friend and that neighbor and this bank or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then once you get down that path, it's the snowball effect. Basically, it's just rolling down and just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's no way you can stop it. And again, I don't want that to deter anyone because, again, there are a lot of pros in owning your own business. But you also need to know the risks. And then phase three is what I consider the easier stage where where money's coming in, you're delegating your power, you have guys basically doing things for you. And again, there's still always stressful times, but it's, it's a, not as bad as phase two. And phase three is when things are running a little bit smoother. If, if one or two employees don't show up like they do in phase two, you're screwed because then you promise people that, hey, mm -hmm. I'm going to be your house tomorrow. But when they don't come in, you have nothing to do. So you got to call them and reschedule. Where in phase three, you just Take a couple guys off of one crew and kind of divvy it around and, and you make it work. So a lot of you know young people, they can't even fathom what it's like to have crews that they manage and to have overhead costs, right? And overhead being, you know, like non-billable stuff or extra costs that you don't think of. So some of those costs would be like insurance, taxes, people breaking stuff, right? So when you're pricing out a job, because I, I want to talk about what it takes to actually maintain a staff, right? When you're pricing out a job or you're trying to figure out what your costs are, for the young people out there that just think a guy makes $20 an hour, what does it actually cost you? There's, is there like a multiplier? Like, do you tack on like a certain amount on top of that? Like if a guy makes 20, you, he costs you 40 because of all the extra things. How do you price that? It, yeah, we do it a little differently. I mean, and, and also it depends on what your workman's comp is. So depending, mm -hmm. like there's guys that I know that do tree work that are paying almost basically what they're paying their guys in insurance. I mean, the workman's comp is through the roof for like roofers and tree guys and stuff like that. So yeah, I would say if we're paying a guy 20, I would add on at least probably nine to $15 on top of that when you factor everything in. Cause then obviously, I mean, with any employee, you're matching basically certain things as well. So yeah, it's, it, it, we, we, we don't, when we do prices, we price things a little differently. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's several ways to do that, but yeah, so like, whatever, I don't, cause this is going to sound terrible, but mulching, I think is what I consider mindless work. So the mindless work jobs, we charge less than guys that are like running on my crew that are doing skilled built deck building or masonry or paver work or concrete or whatever the case may be. So there's scales to guys that like just joined the company or really don't have much experience or guys that have been with us for 10, 12 years. So that price fluctuates based on on their skill but typically i would say an average going rate is is anywhere from 50 to 60 dollars an hour for like our labor cost roughly right. and does that figure in guys breaking shit kind of i mean we usually <laughs> tack that on so yeah basically there again so there's certain we've kind of tweaked things the, the larger we've got when we first started we would take our overhead literally to the penny and figure out okay whatever we're 308 a day right 
We're sending mm -hmm. out two crews or whatever. Like, let's divide that. And then if this job takes four hours and the next job takes four hours, we'll divide it in that again. So like, whatever it comes out to $56 for this one, $56 for that, you know what I mean? And so on and so forth. But then it's just the larger we've gotten, we, we can't really do it that way. Add some complexity to it. So we'd have a markup on our materials, obviously my cost if I'm out there doing whatever. And then we have a sales guy that goes around and has to sometimes pick up materials. So we add in a couple hours on for him to run around and pick stuff up or make deliveries sitting in the office calling to list. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit more complex and it's not exactly as cut and dry. Um, as so you're doing it the right way, right? Like you, you have licenses, you have, you know, you're covering people with insurance. What does that do to you in a competitive market? Because not everybody's out there is doing that, right? No. Yeah. So, I mean, you see the, uh, I think it's troll clothing company or something. Good labor is not cheap and cheap labor is not good. So ultimately, when you're hiring someone or like as a customer, you're hiring a company, you need to factor everything in the equation. So you're comparing apples to apples, right? So I'm pulling up in fancy dancy truck and trailer. But the reason I'm doing that is because I have everything I need to do the job right then and there. I'm not mm -hmm. coming in. I mean, nothing against these guys because I started that way. But these Honda Accords that are loaded up or these white vans yeah. with out-of-state tags with no logos, no GVW, no no company insignia. They get call it, those they, trunk slammers. They, they roll up in a that, dusty yeah. sedan and they slam the trunk shut. Exactly. But yeah, and then you have the vans that are out-of-state place, don't have any lettering on the side, and then they're running everything through their cell phone. That's a burner phone because when they get a callback or a complaint, they just get a new phone. I mean, we've had the same number for 15 years. We're not going anywhere, right? Okay. We pull up with X amount of trucks with lettering and 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 insurance. And, and we've done work with all of the townships for permits, for zoning. We have a good working relationship with architects and engineers. And those are the type of relationships that you want to take into consideration because whoever, uh, ABC Landscaping, who pulls up in, uh, in a pickup truck that doesn't have any lettering and they give you a price... $4,000, $8,000 less than we did, well, call me. I'll be more than happy to go through everything and say why my price is what it is and why his price, he's obviously either cutting costs, he either missed something, or he's going to get into the job and be like, oh, I forgot to charge you for this. There's a change order. We're going to have to charge you X amount for this or that or whatever. And by the end of everything's all done, it's going to cost them more. Or God yeah, forbid, he gets injured and then they got no one to call. It's funny. It's going from the Northeast down to Florida. You see how different of a world it is. And there's a lot of trunk slammers down here. And there's like literally A-level contractors and D-level contractors. And if you're not paying for the A, you're going to find out the difference like really quick. It's going to slap you in the face. So that was, an inch, that was a good perspective for the client. And what I would say to young people that are starting out that want to get with somebody that, you know, they want to get in a situation where they learn, because I always tell people that the best education is mentorship. These are the type of companies that you want to work for. Like you don't want to work for the for the trunk slammer, even if they pay you a few more dollars because they can afford it. Like for a lot of reasons, if anything, you want to learn how to do things the right way. You want exposure to, you know, the infrastructure and the way that a company like yours is set up so that you can learn and maybe you can go start your own business. Right. These are the type of companies that you want to you want to work with. You want to land yourself in, in the right situation. Um, Correct. Okay. So how do you how has it been keeping guys? So Fair. you got 35. That's that's a lot. I mean, you must have a ton of turnover, especially in landscaping. Yep. So how, so how do you maintain how do you maintain that number? 
Yeah. So the problem is, is in another podcast I did, I kind of explained it. So I, I would say out of all the guys, yeah, basically there's four Americans, me and three other ones. Everyone else are Spanish guys. So mm-hmm. the problem with Spanish guys are like most, most of our guys are Mexican and Guatemalan, but there are some like Puerto Ricans or Dominicans or Hondurans or whatever. And there's like bad blood between them. Right. Like nothing between them. It's just, it's like, we don't like you. Yeah. Right. So it's like, we have designated crews, but like I was saying earlier with the whole phase two, phase three, like if a guy doesn't show up, we need to replace him with somebody so that job can get done. Well, then they start Mm -hmm. saying, oh, we don't want to go work with him because of this or because of that, or he's lazy or this. And then it's literally like high school every single morning, 7 a.m. It's like, who's the cool group who's the clique that this person can go hang out with and this person can go hang out with and it's like guys you want to provide for your family we want to let you provide for your family and because you don't like him it's one day you know what i mean or whatever the case may be like we're not trying to create hostile environments but at the end of the day like everybody wants to work because if they can't go out and get the jobs done they're not getting paid and then we're not getting paid so it just it doesn't benefit anybody I don't think people have the foresight. I mean, they think like you just get an employee and they show up and they do exactly what they're told and they don't break shit and they don't yep. have personalities that like you're you're literally like a coach of a basketball team or a, or a baseball. <laughs> baseball is probably a better analogy in this case, but like you have to maintain the locker room. Right. And it's just not something that that I think a lot would be on a lot of people's radar. And when I talk to somebody like a Kevin from Raven Builders and he only has, you know, three, four guys. And he doesn't want to grow it. And you think right. about that and then people maintaining stuff like the peace of mind to him is just worth it. Like he doesn't want to scale because he doesn't want to have to deal with any of that stuff. And he wants people that he can trust and that he knows are, are going to show up and they're not going to disappear for a dollar an hour to go across the street to somebody else with no notice. Like they just won't show up. Right. Well, and that's the other problem is with the Spanish guys, they don't really understand that like there is no two week notice. Right. It's just, they just don't show up. Jose, he didn't come in. He's not coming back. All right. So let's re, you know what I mean? So it it is a lot difficult, more difficult to do it that way. But back to your analogy with Kev, that, and that's the one thing that I tell people about when we were talking about scaling that, like, those are having that peace of mind, knowing like he just was in whatever, Costa Rica, like having that peace of mind that he can Mm -hmm. go do a family vacation with his family and not have to worry about guys not showing up or guys doing the wrong things and him having to come back and pay all that labor and material to undo what they messed mm-hmm. up when he was gone. That's invaluable, right? Like, yeah. Okay. It's right. cool to scale. It's cool to be like, Oh, I run this multi-million dollar company, but it's like, at the end of the day, sometimes if you want to live a good life, you can easily live a good life and stay small and run an efficient, profitable business. Without the headaches, as right, there's always headaches, but there, as yeah. as many headaches as trying to scale and deal with a vast amount of employees and and all the legality that comes with that. There again, I would strongly caution people to sit down and really evaluate how they want to live their lives and what's important to them and their family, and and decide based off of that if they want to scale or not. And just to clarify, two things: number one, Matt's Mexican. So <laughs> I think that's an important, important perspective to know, you know, that he's not like profiling or anything like that. And number two, shout out to the Guatemalans. I think, I think that the Guatemalans are the best for a lot of, a lot of reasons. I think a lot of, I think we as an American culture could learn a lot of things from the Guatemalans. They're definitely my favorite. So 2020 happens. 
I want to. So here's where Matt goes from landscaper to somehow doing a little bit of everything. Right? This is a jump that I don't think a lot of people would would think that you'd be able to make. So what happened? How did you do it? And what is everything when we say you went from landscaping to a little bit of everything? So I, we won't get too personal, but basically I made a decision to move out of the area that I was working. And because of that, I had an hour and a half commute each way each day. Obviously in the trays, like we started six o'clock. So I'm up at whatever, 3.30 to be at, at our shop an hour and a half away by like six. And then by the time I was done doing all the day stuff, then I'd have to go in and do all the office stuff. So I was leaving at like 11 at night. Then I was getting home at 1230, waking up at 330 and repeating the process. I was truthfully just really just burning myself out. And this is why um, you were living off a monster because you had to have something to keep going, right? Exactly. It was, I mean, it was a great time, but it was also a difficult time. Obviously, it was a great time because business was booming. We had more work than we knew what to do with. Obviously, everybody at the time was at home. So that everybody wanted basements and patios and pergolas and this, that, the other. So we basically, a buddy of mine and I kind of decided that like we wanted to offer everything. So I essentially said, I'm, well, not to get before we get all that. The one issue that I had, we were talking about the residential is the, Am- I call it the Amazon air, right? The reason I don't really like the, the landscaping side of things is because we get 1500 phone calls a week. We get this, we get that. And now with the, what I call the Amazon air, everyone just clicks a button and the next day somebody shows up and gets whatever package delivered. 99% of the time in the trades, that doesn't happen. And if it mm-hmm. does, there's probably a reason why they're not busy. I mean, I'm not saying for like an estimate, I'm saying to do the actual job. Like yeah, there right. are points in times that we have a customer that has been a customer for 10 years that has always booked in whatever, January, February for like a March or April cleanup. They would call us like, on a Wednesday and say, Oh, we're having everyone come over on Saturday. We need a house mulch on Friday. And it's like, right. we can't do that. And then we nobody's standing around us. waiting for shit to do. Like <laughs> you guys exactly. have a backlog. Like, of work. We're, we're weeks or months booked out at this point. Like spring is, like I said, our busiest, busiest season. So we have right. spring cleanups and all that stuff. But like I call it the Amazon air people when they were home, whether they got distracted or just relied on Amazon to press a button. And the next day somebody showed up at their house, like, Trades don't work that way. Like I can come give you an estimate by Friday, but we probably yeah, can't right. get the work done. And then, we, well, I've been a customer for 10 years, blah, 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 blah. I should be a priority. Like first come, first serve. Whoever comes, approves the estimate and gives us a deposit, right. they get on the schedule. That's how it's always been. So anyways, the reason I'm going this whole tangent, with all the stress and driving and working, whatever, almost 20 hours a day, I was burning myself out. So I basically told my buddy, like, let's merge. I want nothing to do with landscaping. We obviously came up with an agreement. I said, but I want to start focusing on the construction side of things that I deal with one person for a week or two weeks or a month at a time. And that's it. And it has been the greatest thing for my health, for everything. And and things have been- So just to be clear, so you had a buddy who had a, a, a landscaping business competition, basically. Correct. You merged. He took over those accounts that you had, basically. And then you started growing construction- would you call it GC stuff? Yeah. Living stuff? Like what did you do? I mean, we do do, we do do some interior stuff. So I wouldn't really say like a lot of the guys do 
outdoor outdoor living is what they call it. But since mm-hmm. we do kind of do some inside stuff, but yeah, our main focus is the outdoor living aspect. But yeah, so he didn't, he was basically a grass cutter and a mulcher. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't really offer any of the other stuff. So with us, like now we do the drainage and the patios and the decks and the construction and all of that, which is nice to be like a one-stop shop. Right. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, as opposed to having, you know, people that you have to go see over and over and over again, and then all of a sudden get the rush, you know, when they want something built, whether it's be in a bathroom on the inside of the house, or it's a deck or a pergola, or, you know, a concrete patio for something or pavers for something, you know, they have you come out, you price it, you schedule it, you finish the job, you don't talk to them again. So when you well, have most well, of the time, well, there well, are and times until they want something else, correct? Right? Yes, until they Which, want a, a new job. Yeah. And if you're running a business that you only talk to people one time, then you're probably not doing a good job. Like you want to see repeat clients over and over again, right? Because that means that they like what you do and they see the value and they're probably giving you referrals too, right? They're probably referring you to other people to, to hire them. But, you know, I, I try to, this is one of the points that I try to tell a lot of young people is that as opposed to being on a big job, a big project where you're there for three to four years or in a company or an industry where you deal with the same clients over and over and over again and you can't get away from it. You know, this is one of the benefits about being a contractor is you can structure your life so that you only have to deal with people for X amount of weeks and then you're on to the next. The scenery changes, the team changes, the people you're dealing with changes. So when things suck, they don't have to suck for that long. And it's just, it's just something, you know, that I think is important to note. So, so how did you start marketing the new things that you wanted to do? Because I know you try to keep, you know, this social media separate. So I, I don't think a lot of people have seen that. A lot of people don't even know, you know, where they would find that. But how did you start, start marketing yourself for new services and attract that kind of work? So we essentially just use between the two of our businesses and just sent out like mass emails saying like, Hey, anyone that's interested. But truthfully, a majority of the, our first clients were the ones who called us. Like they were like, hey, we're, we, we've called five contractors. Nobody's called us back. Nobody showed up. Like we've had a great working relationship with you. Like, do you offer these services? And that's kind of really how it started. And then in regards to promoting, yeah, we we really haven't done any, like basically the landscape, landscape side of things has created the construction side of things that most of what we've done has either been referrals or existing clients. So we really haven't done much. But on the social media side of things, I started creating like time lapse or like before and afters in early 2020 of jobs that we're doing to promote the new venture to like my purse because it was my personal account to like my friends and mm-hmm. family and then went out and do you want to go into the whole trailer thing yet or not yet? Go for it. All right. Um, so then, yeah. So then I went out a little crazy and bought every single Milwaukee tool under the sun and had nowhere to put it. So then I bought a trailer and then kind of went a little crazy organizing my trailer. And then uh, it, it started doing pretty well on social media. And then I went from my personal page to what it is today. And at first you were a Milwaukee Matt, right? Yeah. So my personal name and then Milwaukee Matt, but then Dan, this other guy on Instagram basically said, don't pigeon your hole with just Milwaukee. Like if you're going to want to work with other brands, change it to something else. And then mm-hmm. uh, working with Matt was born. And then working with Matt was born. And then it took off from there. How long? So you have 150,000 followers now. How long did that take you to, was it like a, you know, a steep curve once you, once you got going or did it take it off was right a away? Very, very steep curve. Yeah. So I started, like I said, probably in early 2020, I would say just like doing my little small stuff. And then I would say 
Um, what are we in now? Twenty. So yeah. So basically, twenty twenty was nothing special. I think the winner of tw- go twenty going into twenty one is when I did my trailer, and that's when things just kind of slowly started going up. And then I would say around November, December, two years last year. Yeah, last year it was right before World of Concrete. So a year ago, I had probably like. I don't know, 10,000 followers from 20 to 21. And then from 10,000, mm. it just went boom, boom, one or one or two posts. That's all it takes. And then, and then it changes well, the game. Yeah, a lot more than that, but yes. And then I, I had, uh, well, no, but I mean, once you catch fire with like one or two, then it kind of, Oh yeah, definitely. Know. Yeah. I had several posts in that like October, like November, December timeframe that went viral, like millions and millions of views. And that significantly helped. Well, at least it helped yeah. for the followers. It did, excuse me, it did not help for the engagement. And Kevin and I were talking about that. Like followers don't always aren't always necessarily good, especially on a viral video because they Mm -hmm. follow you and then they forget all about you or don't check your stuff. So they're not commenting or liking or viewing your stuff. So there's good and bad in that aspect. So has it been a good thing? Has has kind of blown up on social media been a positive impact on your life and on your business? You don't seem like the guy that would keep doing it if it wasn't. But well, truthfully, and I, I'm not like there's guys out here that they won't do anything without a paycheck. And I'm just not that guy. Like I'm doing this for fun. Yes, there mm-hmm. are perks in being ambassadors and sponsorships and making videos for companies because it obviously, but it, it, it's not, it's something, but it's not paying the bills. I, I mean, I could, mm-hmm. I could say no to every company from here on out and my life would not change one iota, but I would say mm-hmm. as a tool guy, it definitely has its perks. Okay. All right. So what would you say to the younger people? Because I, I think, you know, you probably have a lot of young people that are looking at you and, and want to either follow your footsteps or emulate what you've done. What would you say, especially somebody that maybe feels like maybe they have a learning disability or they struggle with ADHD, you know, and they don't know what they want to do with with their life. What would you say to a kid that's in high school that's in the same shoes that you were in? Would you have gone down the same path? Would you recommend something different? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I would absolutely recommend the same path. I'm not the exact same path, but I, I, I'm one of those guys that like, I grew up in a military family. There is no BS. There is no pouting. There is no feeling sorry for yourself. Right. So the way I look at things is good things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen. It's ultimately what you determine and how you act when the bad things happen that predict your future. Right. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is, is obviously Kev, went down some wrong paths and he's grown from it. So my whole thing is, is show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? You hang out with successful people. You hang out with people that have drive and motivation and whether again, obviously in high school, there is no business owners, right? But like hang out with the guys that are working out every day, the guys that are playing the sports that are, that aren't just sitting at home playing video games, right? I never played Mm -hmm. video games my entire life, right? I was always outside if we were, whatever, playing hockey out in the street or building tree forts or whatever, like always do things that are going to better you and your family. And I would say just, just stick at it because bad things are going to happen, but it's how you handle them and how you rebound from them that will ultimately determine your future. And yeah, what do you, what's the saying that you have about uh, the quickest way to make money, the harder you work? I think you said the harder the work, the luckier you get. No, the opposite. I said, I don't believe in luck, but gotcha. the harder I work, the more luck I have. There you go. Right. Yeah. Luck is preparedness meets opportunity, right? So it starts with hard work. And if you just keep at it, I mean, eventually, eventually it'll take off. Yeah. And so then where... one, other, one other thing on that, on mm-hmm. the 
guys in high school. I would say networking and 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 meeting as many people as you can, right? And never burning any bridges unless they absolutely have to be. But even then, try to avoid it at all costs because you don't know who you're going to meet down the road or who what connections you're going to have. Like having connections and meeting people in all the trades and all different ways of life is is the most important thing because you're going to need help one way or the other. No one has ever done anything they've done on their own. So knowing people and and mm-hmm. creating good, reliable, trustworthy relationships with those people will go tenfold in the future. And did you have a mentor? Yes and no. I mean, he wasn't in the trades, but yeah, I, I definitely asked as many. I was a big talker. So I asked anybody, anything, try to learn as much as I could from as many people as I could. That's awesome. So where can people find you? Um, see any, any of your content follow you? Working with Matt across the board. I don't do much on TikTok. I don't think I even have, I think I have a Facebook, but my reels from Instagram don't go over to Facebook for whatever reason. So I got to figure that out. The whole technology thing, I'm not very good at. So yeah, basically working with Matt on Instagram and then YouTube, I'm going to start focusing on really trying to put out some long format educational stuff of how we build decks, how we build patios, sub base, substructure, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let me know when you're doing that stuff. Shoot me a message because I definitely want to share that. There's just so many more tools available to people now than like you and I had in 08 or 07 whenever you started, right? I mean, the education is the opportunity to get the education is all there. And I'm glad you came on because it's, you know, accounts like you that want to make sure that young people are sharing and that, you know, they're aware of. And then if they want to start their own business, you know, they they have the uh, mentorship out there to do so. Social media can be a bad thing. I think that in a lot of ways it's ruining the world, but it doesn't have to be that way, right? It can, it can be a resource if you, if you use it the right way. Much like you said, you know, surround yourself with the right people, you know, make your social media a funnel of positive things and positive influences in your life that you can learn from. Yep. Right. So and also, uh, if, if anyone, anyone watching or listening, like I said, I'm one of the guys that responds to every single DM, every single comment. So no question is, oh, I lost. Oh, he's back. I'm back. Where are you, buddy? Can you hear me? I can. So yeah, <laughs> keep going with what you were saying. You respond to every single comment. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if if anyone, anyone growing up and has any questions or anyone want to reach out, I answer every DM. So I mean, with, with reason, but shoot me a text or shoot me a DM and I'll be more than happy to help you out or push you into the right direction of someone who could help you out. Awesome, man. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on again at working with Matt. I'm going to share his tag and all the posts and everything, you know, go follow him. Great guy to learn from clean content. And, you know, he's blown up for a reason. He has 150,000 followers for a reason. So that's it for this episode. I appreciate you guys. Please like, share, and subscribe. You know, the more people that hear about this, the more people we can positively influence and show them doors that are open to them and help them run through them. So Matt, I appreciate you joining. I'll talk to you. Pleasure. Thank